0: ACC Eastern Region, coronavirus postponements, Ireland fixtures focus and more. That's coming up on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick and with me are the EC pod regulars. First to Copernicus Cricket on Twitter, Nick Skinner. Nick, how are you?
1: I'm very well. Just uh, had dinner, made a nice risotto. Life's good.
0: Oh, nice. I uh, was lucky enough to have a a wee bit of steak, which I devoured. You would. Yeah, I don't know. I fluked out. I don't know what I did to deserve that. But enough about that. Uh, And in Brisbane, our favourite left arm orthodox spinner, Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you?
2: I'm okay, Daniel. I'm, I'm, I'm happier to learn that you were dismissed by one of my brethren on the weekend. Oh. Yet another left-arm spinner. <laughs> um, but all is well up here in Brisbane. Vegas. Uh, very wet, so glad that a certain, like similar to Sydney, I guess, that a certain cricket match wasn't on up here over the weekend. But uh, yes, yeah, just having a look forward, flying to New Zealand this weekend for a wedding, and then I'm supposed to be in Sri Lanka in a couple of weeks as well. So like anyone with a, a plane ticket, um, just watching the news fairly keenly. But apart from that, um, yeah, a little bit, uh, I don't know, it's pregnant pause of cricket to watch really. Well, we do have Afghanistan playing against Ireland, which is, is good. Um, yeah, not, not so much good news in the cricket scene, is it?
1: Yeah, well, I've had to bin my trip to Malaysia for the uh, the Challenge League as that was postponed, as um, I'm sure we'll get into later. But yeah, definitely disappointing time but gives us some, some, some time to talk about some other things. Did you get, were you, you able to move your flight without any fees or somewhere else? No, I, I still need to sort all that out because I just, yeah, I, I, I couldn't get travel insurance basically was the, the final straw and then the ICC canned the whole thing. So, yeah, I need to, I do need to get that all sorted out but hopefully I can get some, some travel credit and, I don't know, go to another cricket tournament at some point later on. If we're not all dead,
2: yeah. Well, most of the airlines have have fee freed all of the the moving of flights, um, so you don't get costs. You don't get sorry charged for uh, for moving. Anyway, that's 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 something for later in the program, perhaps.
0: Yeah, on the coronavirus front, I was just as I was about to look at flights for Nepal for the APL, uh, all of this coronavirus uh, really kicked off, and the news got very grim here in Australia, with basically every bulletin uh, riddled. And infected, uh, for a lack of a better term, uh, coronavirus content. Uh, if you've if you've caught any of it uh, in Australia, there is a shortage of toilet paper because oh, I don't geez. know how it all started, but basically everyone ran out and bought bucket loads, uh, trolley loads of toilet paper. I don't really know what the thinking was behind that, but uh, for us who have uh, been yeah, rationing that sort of stuff. I actually do need to go out and buy some at some point, but uh, there aren't many places to get it, unfortunately. Uh, Let's head into some actual cricket. Uh, We will move into some Corona news a little bit later on, but we do want to start with some action, at least on the field in the ACC Eastern region, uh, wrapped up uh, in Thailand, and it was a successful campaign for both Singapore and Hong Kong. Hong Kong managed to edge Malaysia in a crucial match at the end of the tournament. That was even after losing 5-0 in the bilateral series that they had at the start of it. Uh, It's a pretty competitive region at the moment, boys. If you do have a look at at where things are going, Nepal possibly regressing a little bit, Uh, Hong Kong still with their issues, but the growth in Singapore of Malaysia has been quite encouraging. It looks to be a potential hotbed as the next big region in international cricket, Tim.
2: Yes, and Singapore's star continues to rise. Um, We've talked about their performance at the Asia Finals the T20 World Cup. And they've just continued on their consistency. Tim David turning up late after finishing the grade season in Perth, um, or at least a grade match. I'm not sure if it was the entire season. was great for them up the top. Um, we spoke about Hong Kong last week. I think you were trying to lead me down the path of talking them down. I said, uh, <laughs> no, things are looking okay, all things considered. No, no, I wasn't doing that. <laughs> Look, I, I do listen back to these podcasts, you know. You you may not, but um, you always make fun of me. And, and Oh, listen. My parents are going to call your parents. Pot, kettle,
0: black, cutler. Goodness me.
2: Well, you know, just be better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, no, I'm really happy with, with, with Hong Kong's performance, um, even more so because I talked about the uh, presence of Jamie Atkinson having a stabilising role. He ended up being their top-run scorer, and even with Kinship Shah not performing as highly as he ha- has in the past, their only game that they dropped was to Singapore. But the story continues to be Nepal, really, isn't it? They started poorly dropping two games... Um, early on first against Malaysia and then Hong Kong Um, and once Hong Kong lost their game against Singapore didn't matter what happened in Nepal's last game so yeah I think we could spend a a, a lot of the the night again talking about Nepal's performance but um, to your point um, yeah Malaysia after beating Hong Kong 5-0 will be very disappointed but considering how well they did fare against Hong Kong in those matches, and I think it would be the first time they've beaten Hong Kong in international cricket ever. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to double-check that. I'm sure Andrew Nixon will um, correct me if, if not, but I'm talking about status um, cricket going uh, back to, to T20Is and, and, and whatnot beforehand, but even within the last five to six years, I think uh, Malaysia got close to beating Hong Kong in a, an ACC match in, in 2014. That just shows their continual development. We have mentioned in the past about Malaysia's issues around translating their great development participation numbers into high performance and with you and your love affair for as is and other guys <laughs> at the top of the order for your sake and, and for your fan club um, flourishing, um, yeah, this is a, a strong little region. So it'll be interesting to see he comes through from the qualifier now with uh, Kuwait, UAE, Hong Kong, and Singapore duking it out for one spot at the
1: uh, the big Asia show. Yeah, you'd say Singapore would be favourites maybe. Uh, UAE have been, well, they've, they've struggled with the uh, players being banned and, and now they've had um, Dougie Brown sacked a couple of weeks ago, so they might be in a bit of strife. Um, so, yeah, I reckon Singapore probably probably favourites for that one.
0: Yeah, no, I'm not to worry about there either after that surprising western half of the draw. Um, yeah, but to look at at some more underperformers on the eastern side, and I do want to bring up Nepal, as it was a hot topic of conversation this week with, again, their struggles, even with uh, no Umesh Patwal for this Uh, tournament as coach and and Jagat Tamata taking up the role on a caretaker basis and and just on that too, Pabuda Dasanayka was actually spotted in in Nepal this week, Uh, read into that what you will but I think a big point of Nepal at the moment is that they haven't got the batting depth at the moment but they were also unable to keep uh, a lot of the opponents under seven and a half, eight and over Uh, and it's just so difficult on slow pitches like the ones we saw in Bangkok it's so hard to to chase a total anything in excess of 150 plus. Uh, a couple of things that I was a little bit uh, perplexed by, uh, part-time Paris Kadka bowling off-spin and quite a lot of it. He bowled, I think, three overs in at least one of the games and maybe three overs in in another. Um, and especially with bowling being their strength, you, you'd think that they could find someone a little bit more suited to bowling those overs. He even bowled in the, in the power play, in fact, uh, against Malaysia, uh, it did seem that every other team around in the in the competition negotiated Sandeep and tried uh, a sort of damage-limitation approach to, to his bowling. And I think Sushan Bari was solid again, but I do have to question the selection policy of picking two fast bowlers, especially in this part of the world where I think Nepal should just stick to their guns and play up to four spinners, maybe even five. Uh, and with all due respect to Avanash Bahara, you could probably leave him out and keep uh, just Karan KC in the side. It, it'll be a different question once Sompal Kami's back to full fitness. Uh, but then on the batting side, that yeah, there just isn't enough quality there. And and one thing I did see was uh, movement in the score between the end of the power play. And the next ten overs after that, uh, Hong Kong they they really collapsed, and and Harun Ashad cleaned up. I think with figures of something like five for sixteen in that match, they went from one for forty nine at the end of the power play to six for ninety eight. Uh, they improved things a little bit when they played Malaysia. They scored seventy one runs and lost two wickets in those in those middle ten overs. Which, to be honest, is probably a good rate. But when you're playing against Opposition as good as these other teams are, who have progressed in the last five years in comparison to Nepal, who have stagnated, uh, you do really need to to be on your game at, at all at every facet and at all phases of the game, from the start of the power play to the to the death overs.
1: Yeah, Nepal. I don't know. I, I think Paris bowling is a bit of a. He, he bowled a few overs um, in that tri series with the USA and Oman, and um, so I, I think. Maybe they sort of seem as a bit of a bit of a golden arm, um, but yeah, you you can overuse that that ploy, and and I think they definitely did in this tournament. I guess N- Nepal, it's interesting. They're sort of a bit like um, a bit like Malaysia are in in the sense that they they have quite obviously a, a good playing base and and a lot of talent coming through, but. They just haven't, for some reason, been able to put it together on the field, and um, you know, just going back to Malaysia, and they they often do underperform it at, at ICC events, especially considering how many events um, are hosted in in Malaysia in in Kuala Lumpur, yeah, you know, and they they just haven't been able to translate their numbers. Uh, playing the game into you know on-field success, and I don't I don't know what it is about these these guys. It, you know they have they have all the players, they have everyone coming through, but they they just can't quite put together a team.
2: I don't know, it's a it's a funny one. Like, I'm just sitting here thinking about looking across the the region, the regions within Asia, and, and and other teams of of their ilk, Malaysia versus Nepal, and thinking of how how Nepal got to the stage of. Getting ODI status um, and, and getting as high as that they have on, in, in the rankings, um, it really is, is baffling that there's that much talent coming through and they still can't get a team together where they're not having to rely only on one or two players. But you know, the more we think about associate cricket, the more we know that... Um, you know, there's quite peaky talent in a country that can come up with three or four talented individuals um, can succeed. But Bez, I don't, I don't know. You, you've written about this. You've written about that. The photo fo- I know you started on Malaysia there, Nick. But I'm just th- thinking about Nepal for a bit as to where where they're going wrong here because well, Malaysia have got a good base and it's them translating it to high performance. And I think that's because they need to be looking at a real strong high-performance coaching program, which I don't think they necessarily have at the moment. But Nepal, like what, what's going on, Biz? Oh, well, where do you begin? I, I, th- I may have been leading you into something there.
1: <laughs> yeah, juicy full toss there.
0: I, I, yeah, don't know what gave it away. Um, I would, first of all, uh, acknowledge that a lot of the hate and blame directed at Umesh Patwal's role as, as Nepali coach during this dip in form, I think is, is probably... Uh, a little bit misled and it's probably you're probably firing it at the wrong person there Uh, it it seems from the outside at least and these things are sometimes easy to see from the outside looking in uh, it does look like Patwell has been made a a scapegoat for uh, the struggles of the national team and the rose-tinted glasses are looking back at Paputar Dasanayake's success while he was at the at the helm, and yes, they did have a good record under Paputar Dasanayake, but that was also before the ICC suspended the uh, the Cricket Association of the PAL. So, there's a few variables going on there that certainly don't work into Patwell's favour. And just thinking about a few things going on that I have some things I've seen firsthand, other things I've had brought to my attention from people who work in Nepal and around the traps in in Nepali cricket and people who are quite high up in in the operations there. Uh, I think it's just a case of, of retaining your knowledge of, of successful and purposeful practice. I mean, if you talk about uh, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000-hour rule, um, he states that you need 10,000 hours of purposeful practice to, to become world-class at something. And I think that... Nepal are off and on a lot of the time but there isn't a lot of continuity in their preparation whether it be training from week to week or playing consistent domestic cricket week to week I think everything is a little bit stop-start and I know that the climate at times probably isn't conducive to continuous cricket uh, for six to eight months of the year but if you look at the dry se- dry seasons and you look at how many days would be available for cricket uh, you are capable of... of providing a decent domestic centralized structure of 20 over and 50 over cricket and even multi-day cricket, if if you really want to branch out to it, I think you've got to walk before you run here in in Nepal's case, but there's only a very few amount of uh, regions in Nepal that actually have consistent 50 over cricket with some sort of context. Um, There's one or two regions where they actually have a promotion relegation system. I know Rupa Hendy uh, could well be the only district actually to have a 50-over cricket season that has divisions and, and promotion and relegation for teams that don't perform. I think a lot of the national team players are almost riding the curtails of their own brief success at times. and uh, I don't think they go out and play enough consistent cricket to retain the knowledge. If If you talk to any teacher or any person who works in education, the most important thing is... To retain that knowledge, you just need to make things a, a routine. You need to do things every every week. You need time out in the middle. You need to play as much cricket as you can. You know, it's very hard. And and this has happened to me right now where I've had six weeks out of my own amateur cricket just because I'm working and I come back and everything's completely different and you feel rusty. But that's simply because you don't retain that continuity that, that consistent practice brings. It happens at every level. And if it's happening at the amateur level than it is happening at this international level as well. So there's definitely need, there definitely needs to be a rethink as to how they go about their cricketing schedule uh, and how the T20 competitions uh, fit in the calendar. And we will get to the Everest Premier League's postponement in a minute, but it just looks like it's, it's just two stop start and you see guys who are coming through the under 19s and they actually do well when they first play senior international cricket, because They've been training with the under-19s for a long period of time in camps and stuff. But once they come to a senior squad, it just seems to be a bit higgledy-piggledy and everything's a little bit all over the place and there isn't that consistency in the preparation.
1: Yeah, I I think you're... Pretty accurately summed up the the issues there. Bez, <laughs> they, they don't play enough cricket, and I, I don't know. Is is here one of those cases where I know it's a, a popular sort of recurring idea, but getting a Nepali team maybe in um, the the domestic Indian setup just so that they can play regular cricket because I, I know that has been helpful to other teams in the past. You know, the the Dutch. Uh, used to play in the, the domestic one-day comp in England and uh, I think the Irish and Scottish did for a while as well before before striking out on their own. Uh, you know, it, So, it, there's a limit to how far that can take you but when your domestic structure is... Well, <laughs> when there isn't a domestic structure, basically, uh, just having that regular cricket, I, I think, probably would be helpful.
0: And one final point before we do move on is that, okay, uh, I think the idea with the Everest Premier League and the, the foreign players from full member countries was that those players would impart knowledge to the young crop of Nepali talent I think the idea is good but I just don't know how much of a sponge a player can be to soak up all that information in two weeks but if you do look to some of those um county teams around the 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 Irish county team that played in the uh English county tournaments I think they had Shahid Afridi as a pro there during their time so if you get five or six months with a high quality international cricketer, it's, I think the progress would be marked and worthy. A two-week tournament is probably a stretch too far of uh, trying to, to impart knowledge so quickly uh, on the young talent coming through.
2: That's going to be the challenge, isn't it? We've got um, a new coach coming in. It's not a matter of if, when. Um, you know, we'll definitely see a, a new face there, whether local or international. But considering the names of the people we've, we've heard that have been a, cited and seen around Kathmandu, let's guess it's going to be an international coach. But a coach can only do so much. We've talked about how associate... International coaches end up having to do a lot more than your standard international coach, and teaching um, maybe more basics than you, you'd expect. And we're not talking basic basics, but just uh, other things that maybe more specialised international coaches wouldn't have to. But they can't do everything here. Not only do they need to be training a an emerging associate team, but they can't also create a domestic structure from from thin air and being involved in some of those. Um, Nepali fan groups on on Facebook and giving the translate option a um, a real workout <laughs> that translate button.
0: I can't believe you're not up on your Nepali yet, Tim. We're in enough of those groups.
2: <laughs> if somebody can provide some a better translator than the one on Facebook, it, I'd be very. I you know look, you'll be part of the family. Um, but there's yeah a real tension there in, in the fan base as well. they you know as talked about during the. League 2 the the fans are becoming more educated about, about the game of cricket and how the best how it's best for the team to get there but there's still a lot of demand for performances from from their stars when you've got the likes of Sandeep playing around the world and Paris basically being a, a living god in Nepal to to also be improving on the field as an international team but these players need to be coming through and as you said when these players aren't getting enough experience or quality coaching and there isn't a domestic structure behind them um that well the same thing's going to keep happening isn't it and whoever comes in and it's not just the coach it's whoever's the CEO whoever's the high performance manager and I'm hoping that they get themselves a a full structured um, administration because they there is well funded from the ICC as any of those other countries up with them in cricket world cup uh, league 2 um, they won't have the money from the the T20 world cup appearance uh, of course but you know that, that there should be enough money especially for how far the US dollar can go in Nepal you'd like to think they could have a really well staffed high performance team that's putting together domestic um, structures and tournaments themselves too and it's not just men's cricket here either it's also women's cricket that it's a real opportunity here, him, here for them to start from the ground up really all over again and put in some really great domestic structures that should underpin Nepal's future success.
0: I want to do that thing in the Simpsons where subliminal messages are thrown into the party posse song Eva Et Niage, where it's join the navy backwards but instead it's Tim Cutler for CEO and backwards (laughs) uh, just so people could get the right idea of of who to bring in for the CEO role. It's not like he has experience in international cricket administration already or anything. But, look, I I sympathise with the players a little bit too because, one, they've got the weight of 30 million people on their shoulders already, so it's not easy. And, and yeah, the Nepali fan base is largely a very knowledgeable fan base. Uh, There's always going to be that pressure of having 30 million people but I do sympathise them uh, for a second reason is that I just don't think they get an opportunity to prepare themselves enough uh, themselves enough, and I think, yeah, it shows in their performance. I, I think in terms of raw ability and uh, how strong the team can be, that team can be good enough to, you know, romp that ACC Eastern region, but it's going to take uh, the building blocks to be to be built. Uh, underneath them for a strong foundation for those players to to train uh, purposefully as much as they can. I, I think they can't go on their names anymore, which they, they did when they they managed that one day international status and they trained the house down and, and played really well. Now it's a case of solidifying that potential ability you have into actual ability and to take it out uh, to that next level. We will, We will move on. Uh, before we do harp on too much about Nepali cricket. It is a fascinating topic. I think we can all agree there's probably a podcast in itself just talking about something like this. And hopefully in the future, we will have people lined up in Nepal who we can actually talk uh, to this about. I am uh, catching up with uh, a member of Can next week who is out in Australia, and I believe he's visiting in Sydney. So hopefully... Uh, watch this space. We'll be able to talk to him about uh, some of the issues of Can, but
2: and Bez. Before we move on to uh, more global concerns, we also saw a retirement after the Thailand um, East Eastern Region tournament with Hong Kong wicketkeeper Scott McKechnie hanging literally <laughs> hanging up the gloves. He has been based in Singapore as, which is how ironic. Um, that they were playing against Singapore. He is actually director of cricket for the Singapore Cricket Club and has been for the last few years. He said, um, time to hang the gloves up and concentrate on, on love and life. He's engaged... To his long-term partner Shan, um, and he's obviously got a lot, a lot to work on there at the Singapore Cricket Club. But um, reflecting on his time in the role, geez, he's been, <laughs> he's seen a bit from the inside of that, that Hong Kong side. He, um, I'm just trying to think when he made his debut, whether it was in Zimbabwe or just before the Cricket World Cup qualifiers in 2018. But more recently, I think about his key innings. That got Hong Kong into the Asia Cup, you know. Without him chasing down that um, that score in the rain against the UAE, Hong Kong don't get there. His keeping in that Asia Cup, and especially up to the wicket, um, in a high pressure situation against India, you know, catching MS Dhoni. I, I love the the comparison side by side of MS Dhoni worth a hundred. Well, anywhere between 150 and 200 million US dollars, and there's a guy on unpaid leave uh, from his role um, to go and uh, wiki keep um, catching him out, um, and then how well he played in the uh, the World Cup qualifiers as well. So for a guy who it's, I don't want to call him unfashionable, he's just your old fashioned fighter keeper. And I know that he hadn't kept hadn't kept for a long time before he took the clubs back up for for Hong Kong. So for him to get back into it as he did, he's been. I have to say world-class for the gloves, um, especially up to the stumps and how key he's been in that the middle to low order for Hong Kong. Whether this means that Jamie Atkinson is going to be seen back a lot more, which would be great, especially if he's taking the gloves again. I'm, I'm hoping that's what it means. But
1: beyond that, it's going to leave a big hole for Hong Kong. Yeah, I've, I've been really impressed in uh, with, with McKechnie's keeping. Interesting you mentioned he wasn't keeping for a while before that because he he looks so fluid behind the stumps he's he's, he's a real natural and and Bertus De Jong was making this point also was that his batting has really stepped up a gear over the last year or so, and mm. he's been just the as you said counter um, You know when, <laughs> and this happens a lot when Hong Kong's top order doesn't fire. Uh, it's it's often Scott McKechnie who's left to pick up the pieces, and and he's been really you know diligent at that and just held a lot of innings together. So yeah, they're really going to miss him. Uh, any any chance Chris Carter can? Um, uh, take some time off from from his studies well knowing the struggles that Cathay Pacific are going
2: through um yeah I, I don't know I think oh geez I'm sure I think I haven't I have heard his name mentioned too much I think he's been back to Hong Kong a few times because he works for Cathay but yeah I, I wouldn't factor him into the future for here I think it's going to be more than working with either Jamie or some young guys coming through Shahid received keeps for, well, occasionally for his club, but he doesn't strike me as a guy that uh, could really be that rock behind the stumps like uh, Scott was. And Look, it's going to be a hard act to follow either way, but you'd, you'd like to get a specialist keeper behind there that can can be as positive um, and safe as he was for, for Hong Kong behind the sticks.
0: Well, when you do think of uh, the best associate keepers uh, around, there aren't many who would be, uh, above uh, McKechnie in a ranking. I can only really think of, of a couple of examples of excellent keeping from people outside of McKechnie. Kipling de Riga at uh, World Cricket League 2 last year was excellent. But, yeah, McKechnie was sharp uh, behind the stumps and we talk with a number of guys around the... The emerging framework and people who work in associate cricket, and most of them agree that if McKechnie's not the best keeper in associate cricket, he's probably in the top three. And yeah, the lower order batting, uh, which has come along, especially in the in the last couple of years, he was man of the match for for a match uh, last year where he won a game off his bat. I think that was against Jersey, and he's really crafty. um, Manages to use the pace of the ball a lot. He paddles and sweeps. Very well. I remember a couple of shots in Namibia where he took on a few of the quicker bowlers, stepped across and and kind of played almost standing sweep shot paddles over the 45 fielder. So, yeah, he's a smart operator uh, in that classic wicket keeping mould where, you know, you can't really get him to keep quiet, even if it is at uh, Joe's smokehouse and uh, half of the umpires from the tournament that he's playing at are uh, on the next table over. (laughs) but uh, yeah, I think it is. It is a big loss for for Hong Kong cricket. But I think Hong Kong have shown in the in the last year or so that with people absent for for whatever reason, they've been able to to step up and find a team of eleven players who will compete capably.
2: A little tidbit before we uh, we move on, that Bez and ma- and maybe it is about him planning for the future as well. Is he's, is he's the only well cricketer but definitely the only keeper that I've ever met that doesn't wear a box huh what it's uh,
0: w- how how why I, look
2: there are a lot of questions and I, and maybe that's for another podcast how about i think we'll try and get him on a pod soon um uh, i think he's a he'd be an interesting guy to talk to he's got
0: yeah i think that'd be good yeah But, yeah, it is an issue that the uh, Nepali cricket fraternity do need to sort out. Uh, But amongst that, there are other problems that Nepal have had to deal with as well as other competitions around the world, and it's affecting countries uh, in every continent, is the coronavirus or COVID-19, which has scratched the Everest Premier League for 2020. It's also forced the postponement of the Challenge League Group A leg in malaysia as well as the africa t20 Uh, some news that's just come through uh, in the last couple of days uh, with the kenyan government also banning international meetings for 30 days but it's a solemn time for international cricket and i think the main point here is that there is an international cricket for us to watch but this will probably come at a cost for people running these events Uh, we've seen well a lot of different human reactions to this malaise and and to this strain that that's going around the world. We've actually seen uh, Nepali franchises of the EPL give us hot takes on on how to stay sanitary, which has been interesting. <laughs>
2: oh, wasn't that terrible? No, can can we stop on that, please? Can are we going to start with that? No, people aren't going to
1: know what you're talking about. You know, I think you should really talk through what. Please, 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 please do not take medical advice from cricket teams, just, (laughs) we saw the Pokhara Rhinos with some um, pretty terrible comments about coronavirus on their Twitter feed. Thankfully that has been deleted, but uh, yes, just listen to your local health authorities, please.
0: Uh, To finish this point, a a couple of the international teams have pivoted and uh, have made alternative plans. The Vanuatu team are actually on an Australian tour, uh, took on the Victorian under-19s team. Uh, We've seen some Dutch and Danish players as well as Tim David training in Perth uh, with Jim Allenby. Tim, you were uh, mentioning that as well. So there are contingency plans put in place, but Nick, I'll start with you. It's... It is unavoidable, uh, and Malaysia is in close proximity to to Singapore where coronavirus has has stricken more people than than other places in the region. Where do you even begin with this? Because we haven't really seen a pandemic like this before affecting so many international cricket competitions as well as all sporting competitions. I can't remember this happening with, with things like SARS and the bird flu. So this is uncharted territory in a lot of ways, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think this is, I would say, a function of our uh, more globalized world. You know, you look at SARS, which was back 15, 20 years ago, and, you know, our world's only become more interconnected and with, you know, more airline flights and more people traveling around, uh, obviously, there's a lot more opportunity for these things to spread and, and... Cricket's no exception, you know. There's a lot more pathway tournaments and, and various things like that happening than there were back in, say, 2001. And so that's that's part of it. I think it is disappointing for us, but obviously, you know, you don't want public safety to be compromised. So, you know, if things need to be cancelled, so be it. I, I think I think we should be pretty sanguine about that. Um, in terms of the, I guess, the knock-on effects and, and how it affects, you know, associate cricket especially, teams like, say, in India probably can't afford to to postpone a series or or whatever, but for for a lot of these countries, as you alluded to, um, they put a lot of money and and resources into organizing uh, their tours and and if they do get cancelled, that messes up both their preparations for for a lot of upcoming things, but also, you know, you look at Namibia and they've recently announced their uh, sponsorship with Castle Light and how if their series against the Netherlands... Uh, has to be pulled or or postponed or whatever. You know, Castle Light's not getting value out of that and and potentially Namibia's not getting value out of it. So it has a lot of knock-on effects uh, further down the line just in terms of people trying to manage a cricket board. And for me, I think the biggest one is going to be uh, a lot of these uh, regional bilateral series that, that have been sort of planned uh, coming up, especially in Europe with, with a lot of, uh, we're hearing some rumblings that they're getting quite nervous about this sort of thing. So these are, these are teams that are coming up to a um, sub-regional and regional qualifying structure that has been compressed time-wise uh, for the uh, 2021 uh, T20 World Cup. And due to that compressed schedule, Postponing stuff is that's going to have a lot of problems in terms of just scheduling everything as as necessary. And the other one is these local regional tournaments or, or bilateral series. These are pretty much the only way that teams are able to improve their ranking. And as the ICC is moving towards using rankings for, for more things, you know, we saw last week they announced that the uh, women's T20 World Cup next edition will be based. The qualification will be based largely on rankings. You know, so for for a lot of these teams. Having these uh, series cancelled means that they can't actually, that you know, they don't have an opportunity to move up in the rankings and and try and improve their standing in international cricket. Uh, very good points. There, yeah. just as you were talking, I was thinking.
2: Well, not only do we have the upcoming Super League as well, because that starts in a couple of months too, and we know how much has been spoken about. Like, well, there's been a lot of chat about the ICC and their new structure of events and how they're going to fit in all these new versions of the champions trophy but yeah i think it's going to cascade down to use a nice corporate term for everyone listening from uh, white collar world
0: oh god
2: yeah
1: how's the synergy on that tim oh it is um synergistic (laughs) um
2: but it's gonna be tough because if i have to look to cancel some of these or postpone i should say some of these regional qualifiers that you mentioned especially in, in europe it's going to be pretty hard to try and find a slot where the teams are available again, especially when you've got teams competing that um, they have other other commitments as well. So we might just see that lower or lowest rung of qualifiers, maybe a line put through them and uh, going on on previous positions in uh, the last pathway or maybe dreaded rankings again so yeah I guess we just have to wait and see look it's and it's nobody's fault here about the about a virus spreading and you, you've got to be better to be safe than sorry and yeah as you said it's a signal of a more globalized world um, from a cricketing point of view and I guess the ICC can only do what it can and when it comes to bilateral cricket it's the nation's making these decisions. I guess cricket's just going to try and best fit around this all happening. You know, it's frustrating for us who want to watch and for these players, especially associate cricketers that are taking time off work or are potentially trying to transition from other non-cricket related work to being professional cricketers trying to get this consistency. And like you said, with the the income coming through from new sponsors and likes in Namibia, there needs to be cons- some consistency for everybody. So yeah, it's a tough one, isn't
0: it? In the most random of random facts, I know that uh, the Spanish flu was so bad that the 1919 Stanley Cup Finals, that's the uh, NHL's final series, was cancelled at two matches apiece. It was meant to be a five-match series. And the Seattle Metrol- uh, Metropolitans and the Montreal Can- Canadiens could not... uh. Force a result in that. So that's just showing you how long it's been since we've had something like this, you know, going back, well, uh, almost hundred year, well, 101 years since we've seen something like this before. Um, it, it's very hard to comprehend, you know, even three months ago to just think that sport all around the world and, and cricket's not the only thing, you know, we, we're talking about sporting events uh, being played behind closed doors to, to no fans uh, from. Italy to to North America to uh, well I don't think some of these Challenge League uh, matches would have the same problem in regards to crowds although there has been a, a generous smattering of crowds here and there at games like this but it does show you that you know this is yeah unprecedented and and we haven't really seen uh, anything like this before and I don't really have much to add but I will finalize um, this topic with with something that you mentioned Nick and it's that. You know, these matches were important for rankings and because there are so little opportunities for uh, some teams to to boost their rankings primarily because they don't play a lot of cricket, to just have, you know, a handful of matches called off uh, for something like this does potentially set the progress for, for a few of these developing countries who are developing at a faster rate. It does set them back a little bit and... Uh, the, the countries that do find themselves higher in the rankings, and uh, we'll mention Nepal's ranking because we do think that that ranking still flatters them majorly, considering all the results that have gone down in in recent days. Uh, it, it will affect things like that, and if they're going to, if the ICC are going to use rankings for, for global tournament qualification, then uh, this this sickness will have a lot of uh, repercussions. Let's move on to some emerging full member cricket members in Ireland and Afghanistan. First to Ireland before we bring up their tour in India against the Afghans. Uh, They've announced that their four-match T20 International Series against Bangladesh in May will be played in England as opposed to in Ireland uh, at the Oval, Chelmsford, Bristol and Edgbaston. Uh, According to John Kenny, this has been due to a shortage of available pitches in Ireland. Those matches are being played on the 22nd, 24th, 27th and 29th of May. Stormont will still host the three-match one-day international series between the teams uh, which are to be played on the 14th, 16th and 19th of May. Uh, Ireland are also playing uh, both England and New Zealand uh, in their summer coming up. But To just quickly bring up this fixture adjustment, Uh, it is for, uh, as I said, uh, moving the fixtures due to a lack of available pitches in Ireland, but I have a feeling that uh, the Bangladeshi diaspora around the UK or around England specifically uh, will help potentially boost the crowds for these matches. Tim, as someone who's worked in, in administration for an emerging com, uh, country, what's the situation in terms of hosting these matches in another country and, and who gets to receive the the uh, the ticket money for matches like this?
2: That is a very good question. Um, you know, Ireland's issues being well documented about how much money they need to spend to bring in the um seating and everything required of the likes of amalahide that's if they're bringing in and selling a lot of uh, seats um but these deals in another country um with grounds that are controlled by by the counties themselves yeah that they would probably well they might be paying for a an empty field to turn up and handle everything themselves or they might be sharing costs or so, not so much sharing costs but sharing income on tickets and whatnot with the, the home county to try and get them into to uh to help in the marketing of it um i'm guessing they're going to be televised probably to a similar standard as what the the island afghanistan series is so i'll need to pay for that as well because we know that they've had their well publicized issues with the the broadcaster that came to light in their announcement to the back end of last year when they were cancelling and moving a few games that the the broadcast partner had actually gone into administration so i'm guessing that's going to be done well either by a new company or by them themselves so yeah i'll be interested to see how it's done because i don't know if you find a bit of success here and going into areas that do have um, a good proportion of people from those nations that are, are touring them, there might be a little blueprint here for what can be done in in the future. Until that they get that that new facility built um, next to the the Institute of Sport uh, in Ireland. So, yeah, that's a very long answer to me saying I don't
1: know, isn't it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Wouldn't expect anything less.
1: It, it is an interesting situation, though, isn't it? And I guess chasing the um, the, the diaspora sort of makes sense, but it's also um, a bit disappointing on the other hand that, you know, fans in Ireland are going to miss out on these and and obviously 2020 is being the most popular format. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. It's sort of a, a, a symptom of a, a bigger problem, I guess, of just the, the market power and the, the fact that cricket in Ireland really still is a, a very niche sport and they just can't get the numbers either in terms of broadcast deals or, or you know, tickets through the gate. I, I await with interest the, the new facility because, um, as, as you say, Tim, just bringing in the, the stands every time they need to use malahide simply isn't sustainable and they really need a, a ground that they can afford to use You know, more more than occasionally and and it's basically it's just not good enough that they they have to go to England to to get facilities well no absolutely not they're, they're a full member after all you know they we
2: can't look at them like a like an associate going through these things and I look I know they've got their issues but yeah I think we've spoken about it and written on it um, that the game needs to be better at supporting these countries as, as they emerge, but also what uh, um, supports their cricketers and the structures behind them. You know, and that's where we really need to start talking about a centralised fund looking after international cricket because, you know, the, the signs are there, aren't they? If, if Ireland's having to play in different countries and things are being cancelled and. You yeah, that was before coronavirus. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm very nervous about the future of these these emerging nations, especially when they're expected to spend as much as
1: as some of these larger full
2: members when they don't have the same amount coming in. But I know we've spoken about that
1: before. Yeah, well, I, there's a couple of things, I guess, going on. And the, the first is that, and yeah, as you say, we, we have talked about this, but, you know, where can savings be made? You know, do matches have to cost quite as much as, as they often do? And that that's one question. But the other... The, the idea of a centralised fund um and this is going into the you know the the pooled rights and and all of that stuff but the icc could and and they have in the past uh, loaned money to boards who've been in trouble. And, I mean, if you've looked at the Met Bank scandal with Zimbabwe, the, the money seems to have just...
0: Dis- Everything seems to come back to the MedBank scandal with uh, Zimbabwean cricket for you, Nick, doesn't it?
1: Well, it's basically the Kevin Bacon
2: of uh, of Nick Skinner's cricket perspective. It's like one degree of separation to the Metbank scandal. <laughs> but... Yeah, I know that we're on uh, to you.
1: Uh, uh, it, well, I mean, yeah, it deserves deserves to be. It's shocking, shocking uh, situation where the Zimbabwean board essentially mismanaged ICC money, allegedly. But the the fact that the ICC is willing to lend money to a well very suspicious. Uh, scheme involving a bank with uh, Zimbabwean administrators on the on the board of it. Why why don't they loan some money to Ireland and maybe they can build some facilities? Or I, I think the idea of having a um, a centralized ICC pot where where teams can apply to either for a loan or, or you know just to, to have the ICC pay for things in terms of infrastructure. I think that would go a long way. And and rather than and this is, I guess, getting into the uh, funding model in, in a bit more detail. But rather than the ICC uh, simply just just giving money to boards and, and the boards uh, spending it as they see fit, having the ICC give money to boards based on projects that they that you know that they pitch to the ICC, and say, you know we want to build a, a you know a new academy or we want to build a, a new pitch here or that sort of thing, I think could be very helpful because it would it would allow the ICC to retain oversight rather than, um, as I said, just just giving money to to administrators who might not be, uh, I mean, even even if they have the best of intentions, a lot of the time, especially at lower levels, the administrators are, you know, part-time amateurs. And, and, you know, so having a a sort of a centralised ICC project fund, which would allow teams to to build infrastructure and and programs, I think uh, that's something that ICC could and should be exploring.
2: Well, they did have that before 2015, they had the tap fund and that was how afghanistan and ireland were able to um no pun intended tap into those additional funds by proposing i think it was some overseas um training tours and
1: academies uh, for ireland's overseas and yeah it funded the north sea pro series with uh, netherlands scotland uh, as well yeah and
2: from an afghanistan point of view you know different story to that of ireland but that definitely helped them on their their way as well so you know just go back to Bertus's pie chart from the the funding through the years that the funding was literally there you know there were hundreds of millions of dollars there for development and additional um, funds there for the icc to tap into um, to help those countries and, and now it's not there the development budget has been paired back to its lowest uh, number in a, in a cycle and a half and the ICC's has as well it's not just it's not just associates it's the ICC has been cut right back too. so yeah so it's been done and it's worked before but now those pies have got bigger to going to certain full members and that money has come from the associate and the ICC pot to do these things.
1: Well yeah and it wasn't just associates I think I remember seeing New Zealand got some TAP funding uh, the TAPP targeted assistance and performance program um, to, to run some programs as well and so, so, this was the thing, it was, it was there for all members who, who can justify needing the money. Um, and, and so, it was a lot more meritocratic, and, and I think that was the kind of direction that the ICC honestly should have been going in, uh, both in terms of funding and more broadly administratively. But uh, sadly, as you said a couple of weeks ago, Tim, they seem to have uh, jumped in the DeLorean and uh, <laughs> we're, well, back to a time before.
0: As much as I love a good Back to the Future reference, Nick, it is probably time to wrap things up. Though I will go through some news stories to end things today. Uh, just confirmation that Ireland has claimed match three of that T20 series against Afghanistan in a super over to avoid a clean sweep in Greater Noida. Needing three off the last ball of Rashid Khan's super over, Kevin O'Brien hit a six over long off to win the match after the teams both made 142. Afghanistan took the series 2 1 with keeper Ramanullah Gurbaz named player of the series. Saudi Arabia has hosted its first ever women's cricket match in Jeddah's Kingdom Sports Complex held on International Women's Day. Women from eight countries participated in the match which was organized by the Abir Medical Group as part of their 20th year celebrations. Spain and Germany have shared their two-match T20 International Series one match apiece in Desert Springs in Almeria this week. Spain won the first T20 International by nine wickets and with 11 balls to spare, with Yassir Ali compiling a score of 80 not out off just 66 balls. Ali made 49 off 30 in the second match, though it wasn't enough as Germany made 180 for three, ultimately winning by 58 runs. Leicester's Dieter Klein made his debut for Germany in the match and took a wicket with his first ball. And finally, the Catalunya and Barcelona European Cricket Series legs have been postponed due to the coronavirus. The European Cricket League, scheduled for May 31st to the 7th of June, is still scheduled to go ahead as planned. Last weekend saw the final of the first, ECS, with Madrid United Cricket Club defeating Pinatar Pirates by nine wickets and 16 balls to spare. To keep up with news from Cricket's New World, make sure to follow Emerging Cricket on your favourite social media platforms and make sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you are listening to the podcasts. On behalf of myself, Daniel Beswick, and the boys, Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner, enjoy the rest of your day, wherever you are, around the cricketing world.